<laughs> What's up, people? Here we are. This is episode 52. This episode is brought to you by Beach Volleyball National Events. BVNE, Beach Volleyball National Events, is the biggest get notice showcase in the United States of America. We're in Florida this year. We're in Arizona. We're in Texas. And of course, we're going to wind up back in the South Bay. We have as many as 20 to 25 recruiters, college recruiters, looking for your kid to get notice. Come see us. BVNE, Beach Volleyball National Events. Come play with us. It's also brought to you by NY Varsity Sports. That's me. That's me, the NYV. Watching me. Watching you. Hey, he's back. Episode 52. Brian McDermott. The episode starts right now. Guess who's back? <laughs> back again. <laughs> Guess who's back? Guess who's back? Guess who's back? Guess who's back? Coach Brian McDermott, my man out of Chicago, Chi-Town. What's good? Welcome back. How you doing, man? I, I told, uh, I, I shared it and I said, I don't know, maybe it went well or he's just really desperate for guests. So nah. either way, happy to be here and glad to talk about all things volleyball, like whatever you got on your mind. Dude, I'm hoard up. <laughs> <laughs> No, actually, the, the weird thing is there's a lot of people that were going to come on and they're all like theater performer people. And some of them, I, I think a lot of them are making their, some of them that are not full time, they're like waiting tables at night. They're just trying to get as much work as they can in New York. Uh, because the outdoor, the whole outdoor scene that we, we have the luxury of doing, like the restaurants being outdoor, you can only do X, X amount of months out of the year before you start freezing, which is crazy because I think New Yorkers are probably going to do it anyway. They're just going to put on a coat, sure. you know, and do that as well as Chicago. So, so you've seen I, a lot of those <laughs> bubbles. I don't know if you've seen any of the um, prototypes for them, but they were talking about having these almost like igloo pods mm -hmm. that you know, so that they've got some heat in them so that people can be outside, but at the same time separated from everyone else. And I don't know the logistics of how cheap that's going to be or how um, easy it's going to be to set up, but it's going to, we're going to see a lot of reform in a lot of different ways on, on how businesses do things. And, and you hope that some things we might look back and say, wow, like that was kind of a revolutionary thing for certain industries that, that made them run smoother even after the pandemic's over. So we'll yeah, see. Yeah, we, we, um, yeah, last time around, we definitely did have a conversation about um, the cant um, and the science and the the evidence um, collected, not the evidence period, the evidence collected, and finding ways for a can because the other reality is right. No one's gonna no one's gonna hide behind a door for a year waiting for a vaccine for one of the three strands that may or may not work. So. Um, it's easy. It'd be incredibly lazy for me to talk about the professional scene. I mean, the NBA bubble, they can afford it, right? So they're, um, they took a lot of the naysayers with, with, and, took, and came back with zero positive tests so, so far, 354 players. Yeah. And now to my understanding, they're, they're implementing ways to get their families and um, like-minded uh, close, close ones and, I don't know, different yeah. wives. Yeah, once, once teams or, or, leave. You know, yeah, mar marriage people without the certificate, you know, like, <laughs> that's how we do, man. That's how a city people actually, do. We go raise a whole family you, before we say I do. <laughs> yeah, there was an article that talked about how, like, they literally had to put a clause in explaining that, like, you have, like, we have to be able to prove that you've actually had contact with this person before. So no one, you know, meets someone on social media and decides to try and get them in without mm -hmm. having a background and, and knowledge on them. So, um it's interesting. You're learning a little bit about what I, I'm sure for a lot of people, 
um, that might not know much about the culture of, of what it's like when you're on the road or, um, you know, you're, you're traveling as a basketball player and you're just used to different amenities. And it's been interesting to read about what Adam Silver's done, like for recreational time for people like, okay, if you're stuck in this bubble, what can we do, you know, to, to make you not feel like you're in a bubble. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's cool to see, you know, that that was what 131 page thing they made for, for how they were going to launch this bubble. And I hope that if nothing else, you know, while we don't have the resources that they have, I hope we, we look at how outside the box they were willing to go, um, to figure out a way to make it work. I think, well, we don't have the resources and the testing there. It does show that, that as long as we don't get stuck in the norm of what we've done in the past, that there's way to, there's ways to get players to be able to still play the sport, even if it's not what we've done in the past. Yeah. And, and I mean, look, the bubble was expensive and the bubble is working and it's a, it is a, a sport or an institution that, that has multiple players on the bench and on, and on, um, whatever on the court but it also requires a level of responsibility of people not sneaking out of the bubble and somehow some way i love how the avp took that and translated that to volleyball because they i know they don't have money to to do a bubble even though they can if they i mean if they get a site like they did before basically basically i don't know if you know it was a parking lot right right and they got a film film permit to, oh, that's, to, I didn't know that. To do, to do volleyball, they applied for a film permit, and huh. yeah. So basically, I don't know. I mean, they have, maybe they're convincing the world these guys are a bunch of actors, and the, the net result, <laughs> you know, the well, score scores are already done. You know, scores are already whatever. They're just performing it out. I guess. I mean, if you could do it for porn, you could do it for volleyball. Why not? They're <laughs> they're actors, okay. Sure. Um, <laughs> It's in the script, all right, for, for Phil and Nick to win the first two and, and for Trevor and Try and, and for, for Alex and, and April to do the clean sweep. But I think because of individual responsibility has helped them create their, 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 that kind of environment. I mean, me personally, I would, I mean, if you're going to do that, I would uh, take the parking lot, just set up some tents, man, set up some GP mediums, get some generators and do like a three week training camp. People can breathe and live volleyball. And actually the competition's better because now they ain't got nothing to do except train and got nothing to do except watch video on each other. And, and some of these matches, which we, we kind of, I kind of lose my patience. I'm like, you've been playing this dude for 10 years and you're doing a feeling out thing in game one. Now, the matches are more interesting because you see a more tactical thing from play one as opposed to, you know, let me just see how my jumps are. Let me get my rhythm. Let me do this and, and see where it goes, you know. Um, very much like fo- football is tactical, you know, and it's a copycat league. So um, had to plug in, quick plug, Donaldson, um, Jeff Conover, right, one of the hardest working men in America. Uh, we um, last time we talked, I think, did we talk a little bit about Alzina or no, did Alzina come on oh, afterwards? Yeah. Absolutely. Did Jeff come on afterwards? He came on after. He was after- the next episode yeah. after ours. Got it. So I think good. it was me and then him and then I think Jeff Samuels. Yeah, Jeff Samuels, my Jeffs. Jeff's a, Jeff Samuels is not just a friend. He's a brother from another mother. He's um, <laughs> what tight, what tight like that. We used to compete. He was yeah. when he was in um, NVL, Michigan. Yeah. Yeah. Well, 2011 to 2013, and yeah. the like local, like Bradford stuff. Like he mm-hmm. would come and play. He played with Todd Gorlonsky. You know, he was on the come up at that point. Um, 
my, you know, my, I retired before he was going to even the score. I think I was like six and one against him. And again, he was like new. It's not a shit. Like his mm-hmm. ceiling way higher than mine. It was really cool when the NBL, when, you know, I had my shoulder surgery and I came back and I was working um, the broadcast team for the NBL and then doing some of the qualifiers and watching him. And, you know, the big thing was he, he couldn't set the way that he set in 2016 when he yeah. first started out. So that was always, you know, an advantage we were able to, to exploit on him. But you saw like, that the man could go over a open level block in the bounds deep corner. I mean, there's just not, he hits some swings that really a handful of people that I've seen capable of doing. So it's, um, he was actually training at our facility with Dylan Cox a little bit. Um, I like Dylan he, once they, or twice. They, they still yeah. play together a lot. Yeah. So, so it was, you know, it's above everything else. He's, he seems like he's really kind of finding his, his niche on what, he wants mm-hmm. to do and he seems really comfortable in in what he's doing and yeah it's always yeah. cool to to see guys from the midwest whether they're the bomb greens who are succeeding from the midwest or they they go out there and and make the journey it's it's good to see him doing well well for for me i'm gonna air his laundry a little bit um last year he had um a, a couple of nagging injuries in his back he had spasms and he had something something um that happens to a lot of volleyball players, some kind of activity between your your thoracic and your lumbar. No, your lumbar and your sacrum, like your L5 and your S1 region. There's always that thing where you're cocking back so so much. Or, and sometimes you, you, you tend to, to compete harder and then something something happens, something, something, F, something fucked up happens with that. And somewhere in, at Huntington last year, he kind of had that. And, and I know that because I, I, I was... I was in. I was under the umbrella. I was. I was cornering for him and Dave Palm, and I went to New York with him and um, Vandermeer Doc. Um, you know, I, I was doing pull charts. Basically, I was their coach, well, but not really, because because personality was <laughs> that's a mess. But that's sure. that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is him uh, wanting to be able to do the things he does well, and if he can't do those things well he loses good partner opportunities and it hurts his brand. So uh, after New York, he just pulled out. He just pulled out the rest of the tour. And to his credit, I thought that was really good. Sometimes doing nothing and allowing yourself to heal um, um, just for your brand is, is, is helpful, especially to him. So that was him last year. But the year before that looked good. You know, FIVB, he was playing with Ian Satterfield a little bit. Um, the year before that, played with Michael Brunstein. Uh, one of the, the best matches I've ever seen him play, which was, was actually in a loss. It was against Reed Pretty and Ricardo, which was 16-14, third set, just battling back and forth. Um, and he, he prior to that, he had a really, uh, what I would call an unnecessarily close match against the Partains, I thought. You know, I the saw part- the video. Yeah, the Partains have arrived now. It's particularly Miles, but that was a match sure. where, okay, they were new. And if you did, if you actually did your homework on them, you know you would have cracked the code a long time ago. Wouldn't have come to that. So I'm, I'm, I'm a casting aspersion on my boy for for that one, you know. Because after oh, yeah. that, Avery Dross and Frischman, um, you know, they only needed to see them play <laughs> at the tournament to just watch video and figure it out. So sure. So they, well, mm-hmm. you know, the truth is, is is Jeff for the early part of his career. Mm-hmm. Like he was competing at a higher level than he probably was as a player because his athleticism was so elite. He, yeah. you know, his block and and you know, even when he was on the come up and and there were blatant holes to his game physically, like his partner, if he had a really good all around one, they could clean it up. And sometimes, I mean, you see with juniors, right? You get some kids that are bigger, faster, stronger than their peers at a young age. 
The problem is, is when you're able to be successful um, doing certain things the wrong way, hmm. you're not correcting them. And so for someone like Jeff, who, you know, again, he's put the time and there's no denying it. Um, but but he got to California, I think, with a couple things that still needed to be figured out. So so some of the stuff you're talking about with with reading the other side and making those adjustments, he's still pretty new in that. I mean, you know, even a couple of years, mm-hmm. you know, we're seeing it at the top level. You're playing guys that have been pros for, for 15, 20 years. So, um, you know, the fa- and I agree with you, with anytime you got a back injury and your athleticism was the best part of your games, that, that's going to affect you. I think that's why him and Dylan pulled out of that March Ohio tournament because yeah. they were one of the teams I was really interested to watch. And, Did, and um, I think they won Virginia last year. Yeah, Virginia. no, they played yeah. great. And I, I watched yeah. that final. Um, yeah, they looked really sharp. So I was excited to see, and I don't think they were really training a lot leading up to that tournament. So knowing that they were training locally, they were training out in the West, I was really excited to to be able to watch what they were going to be able to do um, in Ohio. But I, I he had trained and and I had reached out to him or Dylan, I forget which one. I was like, hey, I saw your name isn't on there anymore. Everything good? And it was like, yeah, just back. His back was bothering him. So um, hopefully that that's past him and you know, we'll, we'll see. So always, always got a root from the guys from the Midwest. So no doubt we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. Drew Pitlick says Brian McDermott legend. <laughs> well, remember, so, so let's talk. <laughs> if, I'm glad he's here. So Drew, good to see you, sir. Uh, four years ago today, he and I were supposed to be, we, we were, we were excited to play the Virginia beach, uh, NBL qualifier. We had done the Hermosa one and he was from, so, so let's start at the beginning, 2013, uh, training at a facility in Aurora, and I show up early for, for my group. It's Joe Baker, Matt McCarthy, Dan Friend, and Drew's the only one there. And he goes, you know what court you're on? And I don't really think anything of it. I'm like, well, I think, you know, usually we take this one. He's like, oh, well, this is the one we got. So it's kind of like a little flex at me. I was like, okay, like no big deal. So I'm just getting my stuff ready. And he's like, he's jump serving. And then he's like turning to look at me and he's running and getting the ball. He jumps over, he's turning. I'm like, and this guy's like 6'8", 250, 260. Yeah. Um, he's built like a tank. And I'm like, who is that's, this guy? I've never seen true. him before, but he's <laughs> huge. So he he comes in with a couple A-level guys. Like he's he's new to beach volleyball. Um, and then Baker and McCarthy in front. And we start training. And you can just see like the moment he watches us train, like he's just the, the guys are like having to tell him to keep playing because he's like turning and watching us. And that's really like, we started our friendship there. So he worked his butt off. He ended up moving to California. I hadn't seen him for a couple of years. And then I was traveling with the NBL. I said, Hey, I'm going to be there to, to work the event. Do you want to play the qualifier? And we ended up beating uh Sokol and Viverka, which is a pretty good team in Ohio who had made the main draw in Cincinnati, the tournament before uh, we ended up losing to Salvador and Van Zwieten in the second round in a pretty close game. But, it was, I was excited, like, hey, do you want to run this back at another? Would you want to travel and do another one? Because I felt like if we got another shot at it, you know, we could build on what we had already done. I saw some things that we can kind of tweak. So we get to Virginia Beach, and uh, the morning of, he calls me. He's like, hey, man, I got food poisoning. He had sushi on the, uh, the, stra- the, the pier the night before. And so you can see the live stream. I, I should post on the memories. And this guy was a warrior. So we start, he's left side, I'm right side. And his body's just can't, we can't play. Like it's evident he can't move. Uh, we play against Vogel and Kidder, two decent players from uh, North Carolina. So what we did was we put him on the right side and just like right on the line. And then I moved to the middle of the court. 
Uh, we lost the first game 21-18. And, and basically, I was – if he gave me a really good pass and he got a good – you know, approach. I was I was teeing him up because he just had the size advantage. But I was I was going over on two bump setting. I was cutting corners. Like we ended up taking the second game. I think twenty one seventeen. I feel bad because uh, competitive guy, obviously. So game three happens, and he's got like he's given everything he's got. I mean, I don't know, I've had food poisoning more times. I don't know why. I, I try not to eat crazy, but I've had food poisoning five or six times. Like I can't imagine ninety degree heat with that sand. And that guy gutted out two games. He gave everything out. We're down 9-1 in the third. And I should have just looked at the ref and said call. He yeah. ended up, um, they, they, he collapsed right after the match. Um, his body was seizing up. They, they took him to, there was an um, um, ambulance on site. They did some tests and they decided to take him to the hospital because they wanted to make sure that there was no issues with his kidneys. Um, and, and we ended up, it was sad because I, I felt bad that, A, we jeopardized his health. Um, but he ended up okay. And what was kind of nice was, you know, every time we go to a tournament, we would play, but we didn't really, I was working a lot too. So we didn't have a lot of time. I, I got the clearance from, uh, the broadcast crew. They didn't need me. So I went to visit him at the hospital and Drew and I just basically just talked life for three hours. Um, kind of just, you know, shooting the breeze like you and I are doing. And it was really nice to get to know him a little bit better and, um, you know, off the court and, you know, I hope down the road while I'm, I'm, I don't compete anymore, but I hope at some point Drew and I can share the court again together. Uh, to end on a, a better note, super nice guy, worked as hard as anyone, um, you know, and I don't know, I've talked to him for a while, so I don't know what he's doing now. I know he's out in the West Coast, but. Yeah, he's out here. I, super I, nice. I think I super see nice him. I'm pretty sure I see him more than you see him right now. I think, I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, his, his, I think his game picked up a little bit because sometimes you get good coaching, whatever. I mean, I don't know if he was part of P1440. I don't know if he was part of the development program. Maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. And he, if he's listening right now. He could just type in and tell us. But, um. I think it's important for someone like that to have direction that comes from minimal um, dimensions. Um, We were just talking about Jeff Samuels, very, very similar. I think one of his weaknesses was he got so good so fast. You have so many people in your ear telling you this way, telling you that way. And, And I kind of put two and two together when I was working with him at Huntington. He was just like, too much information, too much information. I, and I actually didn't say anything the whole damn day. You know, I would just give um, him the pull chart and then I would sit, I would sit and chill with Dave, uh, Dave Palm, because they were splitting block. And I was just like, hey, you know how you want to do this? Because we had a, we breezed through the qualifier, but we ran into Brandon Clemens and Dylan Merrick, who um, I, I just thought were the best versions of themselves. In fact, Dylan Merrick later played, played with Palm and, Right, beat them. Um, they did really well. They beat too. Case Beer and Shock on center court. So I mean, you know, and um, so yeah. So Jeff was uh, like, like, uh, not like Drew, but just needed as few people as he could to avoid paralysis through analysis. All right, when we we t- uh, we talked about paralysis through analysis. The second thing he did, and I'm, and I'm gonna give you the floor in a minute. Um, he was also coaching endless summer beach, uh, beach volleyball with us, and the the group of coaches we have here. You know, I I'm the most experienced coach and the least experienced beach coach. <laughs> okay, um, Jaron Barreto, who was actually coaching Kelly Clay's for a little bit, uh, um, Filipino guy, long dreads. You'll see him at the event doing scoreboard and this and that. But but turns out the guy's a real coach, uh, Pompilio. Uh, um, who's um, who was Jose Leoelo's coach when he played, and he's also one of the head ups at P1440 right now. Arturo, um, 
who else? Oz Borges and this crazy Cubano who's this, who, who brings this old school Midwestern kind of like Ohio Valley to Ohio yep. State style to, to whatever. And you, you probably seen him play college or whatever. I forgot what, what school he played for, but he, I know he, I, I know indoor, for Apple, he was, for Apple, he was it. So, so you had this mixture of guys that we, you know, once a week or once every two weeks after practice, we all go to dinner on the pier, whatever, we go to, we go get a burger at Slater's, or we go to a $5 personal pizza at American Junkie. And of course, with all, all of us together, we're gonna shoot, we're gonna shoot the shit about volleyball. Ooh, Rob McLean. Let's not forget about Rob McLean, this dude in his mid to upper 20s, who I've been working with personally uh, four days a week, the last three weeks. Uh, his, his fucking, it's, it's mind-blowing what, what he's able to take in and more, moreover what he's able to convey to others. So, so that's the second thing that helped Jeff, just having a regular conversation where you know, people are not ch- trying to teach him. We're just having conversations where we agree and we disagree. So take that and the ever-improvement um, of Dylan Cox, uh, not to mention his, 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 his job, allows him to just be accessible anywhere anytime i I think he worked with an airline you saw the update the big news for him this week right no uh so so he's furloughed um but he i don't i think it's called bullet there's a facility in texas and he's going to oversee the five courts there so um yeah he just announced this a couple days ago so (laughs) um so yeah so i mean it's talk about lemons or lemonade out of lemons um obviously the the flight industry's taking a hit and so he kind of knew i mean he's young so he's low on the totem pole um so but you know if there's a time to do it with what his aspirations are uh the fact that it looks like he's going to be in texas and be able to you know sustain himself with the sport and hopefully that'll give him a little more consistency also on being able to train in one neutral location i don't know the extent of it Mm -hmm. um you know is this a short-term thing a long-term thing but it's a pretty good consolation prize from uh, I'm sure he's, he's not too upset about that given mm-hmm. the fact that you know a lot of people get put in that position and don't have a clear plan B. Yeah. Glad I had a chance to chat with him a couple of times because it seemed like every time he's in California he was playing against someone that I knew or playing against someone that I was coaching like he played Jake and Earl at Manhattan Beach but um, I think by the time he played them Arturo was coaching Jake and Earl. I, I I just switched out I got <laughs> I think I got I think we just two coaches in one spot whatever but um you know i had a friend Torin jeffries had to play him the first round he he um carried his partner second or third round on that one so it's like everywhere i go there he was and he and he, he's a good kid man uh, him and jeff stay with me here in virginia beach at the tournament tim driscoll just said um said he had a blast so but you're right if the, if that is his aspiration whether it, even if it's not his aspiration whether it's just a pit stop where he's thinking this whole volleyball thing through that's that's, that's a good thing for him it's productive it's productive. Um, it's a, a monetary opportunity, you know, uh, outside of um, the scope of just winning, winning these tournaments here and there. And, and what the hell? Good for him, dude. So let's. Um, I'm very, very happy with what you've been doing in Chicago, my man. <laughs> yeah, it's been, been pretty good. Maybe it was a, maybe it was a springboard from this podcast. Some, you know, sometimes, so. sometimes someone just has to turn on the TV and watch Channel Nine News and. Um, <laughs> 
you know, and, and people come in, on-site reporter asks what you're doing. I, I, I watched it, and, um, and I said off camera, and I want to say it again, but you're just going to have to hear it again because the audience didn't <laughs> hear this. I really loved your professionalism, and I really loved that you allowed the players to be themselves because the highlights you showed of the girls playing were live. That was not edited footage. To my understanding, that was just all, all live coverage. And... I really love the way that you promoted the sport of beach volleyball, where um, it, it is where respect is, a, is, is is an essential. Respecting the sport is a must. Your assistant coaches, you all, you guys look like you're in great shape too. All you look, <laughs> guys look like active players for Christ's sake. I'm, I'm the out of shape one. The, yeah. the others are. Yeah. I mean. Well, Jake and Enrique are, are coming along. Yeah. They're going to be. You'll you'll hear. You know, about it's crazy that next... we're all we're all out of playing shape, but like if people look at us. They're like he can still beat me. <laughs> they're like that. If, that guy if, I got a, if I got a T-shirt on, I don't look any different. And then yeah. once I take the T-shirt off, they're like, "Ooh, that's mm-hmm. softer." Yeah. It's like, <laughs> hey, don't worry about this. <laughs> what you know about the? What you know about these man boobs? <laughs> Squeeze the uh, cleavage on the endless summer. <laughs> and we're going straight pouring, my man. Look at that. <laughs> um, no, I do thousands of push-ups a week, so one way or another, I'm, I, I got to keep, you know, that's <laughs> I, it's a maintenance nightmare because now that I'm doing them, I have to keep doing them. But I really, talk, talk to me a little bit about, I'm going to go in interview mode and then we go, get back into conversation mode. Talk to me a little bit about how you made this happen as far as social distancing players, maybe doing minimal competitors and pods. Um, you've been communicating... Um, uh, um, consistently with the Department of Health as well as mm-hmm. other venues to, to make this possible and plausible and even like hit hit like a national stage. So walk me through some of the things that that um, that you're doing to provide safety for your kids and also that made that that gained the notice of other venues. So the, the number one thing that, that we're doing just to to limit um, possible worst case scenario is we're just not having any random group. Right. So it's not just that we're having low player count. Uh, we only have four per court um, at the moment. We might expand that down the road. But for now, I think that's working out best. How many courts um, before you go on? How many courts we have do two. you have? Okay. So, you know, so the most we have, you know, phase three when it hit for our state um, was 10 or less. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you have the two coaches, you have the eight players. It was perfect. In July, phase four hit, uh, which allowed 50 if we wanted that. Now, I talked to the health department right after that. And I asked them, is the reason the shift from 10 to 50 something because the change of risk? And um, it wasn't, you know, you have to remember these phases are kind of a broad one size fits all. That, that's the intent. It, it was really for businesses like restaurants. Um, you know, with 10, you're not really going to be able to have, it, it's not worth having the place open. So they were all doing carry out in June, uh, but they weren't really opening. Once July hit, you start all the outdoor patios, you know, at 50, you can start running stuff where logistically it made sense. But for youth sports, um, they, they said that that none of the health um, recommendations with social distancing, um, you know, keeping six feet apart as much as possible, nothing had changed. So for us, um, while I understand for indoor that they went six on six, you know, for them to have, you know, 12 on a court, it, it allows them to actually play. Um, for us, we, we're going to get into them in a, in a little bit. They're, they're not getting <laughs> so, off that easy. So for for us, I was just like, you know what? Why if if I add more kids to the court, it's going to make it really hard to do like 
knowingly feel like we're, we're keeping our distance at all times. Because our kids, we, we, we have siblings. You know, I'll, I'll be honest, a lot of our kids do carpool. So a lot of the groups that are coming in together, I mean, they're not social distancing outside, but we still have them no high five, no contact, keep their space, you know, arms length apart when we're talking. And the reason we do that is in the event that down the road, maybe they want to sub for another group. Um, you know, we don't want to say no to that, but we also want to make sure that we've built up the, um, the habits so that it's not, uh, they're caught off guard when they don't high five and things like that. Um, so, so, you know, we keep our, it's not rocket science. We, we temp check when they come in and all that means, you know, I can't speak for you. The temp check, I think is more of a liability thing. I know when I have a fever, I feel when I have a fever a lot, but, um, knock on wood had no issues with that so far. We have tables that are separated, separated that they put their stuff on. Uh, every table has a sanitation bottle, um, helps to have a, a dad that, that sells it bulk. So, so we have 80% alcohol, which is 20% above the, the minimum requirement for sanitation. They sanitize up to the elbow before they enter the court. They sanitize up to the elbow the first thing when they come off the court. Uh, once we get on the court, it's business as usual. Um, you know, we warm up separate. Um, we, we do movement, we do arm warm ups depending on the group, if there's something specific last week that they were really struggling with, we might do, okay, bump setting was really rough. So we're going to do a transition bump setting drill. Um, and then we game and, you know, we, we take breaks again, they, they stay separate practice ends. We put 15 minutes in between each session that gives us time. If a player or parent wants to talk, I can do so well. We always have an extra, we always have an extra staff member in the office in case, Something has to be done sanitation-wise. These parents, it's it's like private lessons, essentially, and we, we charge accordingly. Um, I never want the practice to stop because something needs to be done. If a kid needs to use the bathroom, we sanitize every time. So I have an extra staff member to make sure that practice keeps flowing regardless of what needs we might have to do. So we don't, it, if you only have one person and something happens, that's where corners get cut. Not maliciously, but just because um, it, it's hard logistically to handle it that way. So. We've been going, we're almost at three months now, and it's it's going really well. And we've had no issues up to this point. The kids are getting a lot of individual attention. And um, we've been going week to week. It's been, I, I really, I'll say it if my, my parents are listening, it, that was a lot to ask of them. I thought I was being, um, I thought I was being flexible for them. And what happened was every time they had another program that was changing their schedule, every Sunday I'm getting uh, calls, text emails from parents saying, hey, can you change this? Can you change that? which I think for everyone became complicated. So, so lesson learned, we're going to go back to month to month, which is how we've always done programming for our indoor program. Um, they'll pick their dates and times and business as usual. So yeah. we're, we're excited to keep it going. Yeah. For me, I mean, for me, endless summer, they're, they're, they're doing their things in pods and me, I've been doing limited coaching basically. Um, I like anyone from in, my club wants to do like privates. I can definitely do that because less is more in that. Um, Duran has been doing virtual showcases and, and I'm not in sure, entirely sure what that entails, but she's done a good job not involving me and, and Rob McLean in that because again, less is more and I don't, I don't want to do anything that involves, if I can help it, multiple, multiple competitors. Like Evolution as a club team, you know, it's six, it's a program six years old, started kind of an upstart, but Duncan Avery had a vision and now, you know, we're, we're, we're going to nationals and we're winning bids for tournaments for USA open, you know, club, some club. And 
now we got this killer coaching staff, and now everybody's interested in trying out. Of course, two of the coaches, the head coach of Redondo boys and girls team, me. I was the the kind of dirty New Yorker that was there from four years ago, but. You know, I don't know anything about that guy. All I know is that he wins a lot, <laughs> you know, and I want my son to play for him. So we have a virtual a Zoom meeting right now um, about how they're going to carry on try, the tryout process and this and that. And I might have bad news for them from the beginning. You know, I'm like, I'm not. If we can't even, because we, we have the meeting at Schooners. There's a, a restaurant, uh, uh, like a bar and grill, like a basically a greasy food and beer joint, you know, and sports a sports bar every year where we have the meeting there and we just and i'm just there for the food honestly and just to sign contracts um and meet meet any new coaches but i'm like in light of the fact we can't even have the meeting at shooters how the hell are you gonna are you gonna do tryouts how are you gonna do tryouts for multiple kids uh, um how is a coach gonna um be able to keep a mask on for the entire the entire series you're gonna have to give me recommendations on breathable masks because i've seen people that that can keep a mask on the, through the whole thing and oh we, and, we keep coaches never take their masks off yeah but um, that's because time. interrupt me what 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 kind of mask do you use oh it's just it's just the reusable it's nothing fancy it's just or not the reusable it's the one-time use um we get a pack of 50 of them from walgreens for 34 bucks Oh, okay. wrong. oh, the blues. I demo, the blues. Yeah, the blue ones. Yeah, yeah, because so, those you can breathe in. Yeah, I mean it's it's hot. Don't get me wrong. Like I'll I don't demo. Care about hot. I just want to breathe, dude. I'm fifty. Let's, let's, so so I don't know if you've heard. So in Illinois, um, let, let's start at the beginning if we're going to talk it indoor. The worst kept secret in July was that IHSA, the high schools, were going to um, push back their their um fall sports to the spring now they haven't figured out the logistics of that they just know that they're going to cancel for three to four weeks people in the know were talking behind closed doors about that they knew that um so you know our club schedule i'm pretty sure it's, it's most of the places across the board you know you have your august to october to november is high school and then club trials right away so the second worst kept secret was that the region and top clubs were, you know, the purpose of high school canceling fall was to try and let, let's think cases were starting to go back up in Illinois. We were back to, to 2000 cases a day. Uh, we had gotten it down to about a third or a fourth of that. And it was starting to rise. And, and our governor said about a month before, like, we're seeing a lot of youth sports incidents. And this is where some of these cases are having, like all these travel tournaments that was happening in baseball and AAU basketball, like, Let's ease up a little bit. Um, what caught everyone by off, off guard was the day that IHSA did publicly announce that they were canceling fall, um, the state came out with a youth sports guide. Now, whether you agree with it or not remains to be seen. Um, but every sport had like, okay, here's the sports that are level one, level two, level three um, in regard to risk. Volleyball was a medium risk sport, level two. So and They're talking about indoor or beach? They consider both the same in in Illinois because remember I'm I'm one of three really beach exclusive clubs that that exist in Chicago. So um, so they they the the rule was that you were only able to do um, you were only able to do in house scrimmaging. You couldn't do outside scrimmaging. And the region and the clubs you could tell from the people I talked to, they were stomach punched by this because they were planning, okay, we're going to lose these kids in the spring that we normally get, but we can, 
like tryouts were going to be, they're still going to be next week. Uh, September is the beginning for club where they're allowed to. Um, they were going to run a power league. And all of a sudden that business model doesn't work. So um, hmm. I'm, I'm going to preface this. I don't hunt for information on indoor stuff. It doesn't, it's not relevant to me, but I coach kids and deal with parents that are doing both. So the challenge that a lot of my parents are coming to me with is clubs are demanding your deposit. They're not making you even try. If you if you were in good standing with us and you played for us last year, we're not going to make you try out. We want your deposit by, some of them I think are this week that they're expected. But the clubs that are asking for these deposits have no model on what club's going to look like. I kind of feel, and I'm this is an assumption, I could be wrong. It's it money seems grab. to me like they're <laughs> waiting to see how many kids sign up and then we're going to make the model after. Which... I, I will say my opinion is you would never go into car dealership and put a down payment down without knowing, is this going to be a Mercedes or, you know, a gremlin with bees in the tailpipe. And that's kind of the position that parents and players are being put in. Um, the one thing that I would like to see, and I'm actually talking with a couple of club directors in private that are trying to navigate it is if you are going to be able to run this multi-facility power league, if you were allowed to, it's hard for me to believe when parents are being told that they can't figure out what they're going to do the next couple months. It's not that difficult. Monday and Tuesday, you run individual practices, right? So you have your, your hitters, you know, your middles, your, your pin hitters, your setters, you, you do individual practice. Depending on how many kids you have in your own program, Wednesday, Thursday, break them up into teams and then have one team practice. And then on the weekend, run an in-house scrimmage and, as coaches, you can kind of evaluate, okay, you know, we had four teams, you know, age 15 to 16 that were playing against each other. This one we made a little too strong. So let's go ahead and, you know, reshuffle the teams a little bit and do it all again the next week. Make it actual development. You can give them the tools to be able to practice and get better individually. You can still give them the reps to, to work on that offensive, defensive philosophy and chemistry, and you can give them in-house playing opportunities. I feel that the challenge is, is clubs are struggling to figure out how do we do the, the, the challenge is you have to have the right coaches. Uh, the elephant in the room I've talked about with some other people is, is let's call a spade a spade. The, there's the, the, what makes a club marketable has nothing to do with how elite you truly are. When I say elite, I think the mark of a good club is, can you give a kid that is what I was going into high school? I was five, five, 95 pounds with a size 12 shoe. I wasn't at that point going to be playing with the 15 ones, right? But can you give a, a opportunity for development? Not that I'm going to get to the same level as those kids. Can you run a program that gives every kid that signs up the same opportunity for growth, right? Not that everyone's going to get to the same level, but you know, one of the most prominent clubs in the area takes all their 13 year olds and they line them up on the wall by height and the top, the tall 10 kids by height, doesn't have anything to do before they touch a the ball. They're the ones team and they're getting the best coach at that club. And it's a very good club. Meanwhile, you've got, I had a friend who's a parent of one of these kids. His daughter was five, three. She's a great little athlete. She was a good all around player. She had years of experience. She gets put on the eights team and has a 17 year old coaching. So the challenge with a new model that I think most clubs is it's like, we're not wanting to talk about is there's a big discrepancy in a lot of organizations, not all of them, but the bigger your organization gets, um, you know, your one's team and coaches and the quality of instruction 
varies greatly from the ones, threes, fours, and down. And I think that's been the biggest challenge for these clubs when they're trying to make a new model is they're struggling with the tools they have. Can they do it in a manner that everyone who's paying the same price feels that they're getting the same product? But is it a new model? Is it really I mean, a new model? Don't you think so? So up I to mean, this point, what, what are the majority of clubs? What are the majority of clubs promoting on their social media? Mm -hmm. It's not development. It's tournament victories and college placement. Those are the two things that clubs talk about. They don't they don't romanticize the progress of a team that's threes or fours that have gotten so much better over the season, but may not win a tournament. It's all about their elite teams. It's all about their tournament victories. Right. And it sells. I'm not knocking them. It's worked. But if you're truly about development, um, let's be honest, a lot of these programs, they sell it. And, and then we turn around and we get frustrated with the parents who see that marketing. They send their 5-5 outside hitter with average athleticism to that club. They're paying a similar amount. And they go to these tournaments and their kids are getting nothing that resembles the, the marketing pieces that got those kids interested in those clubs. So I'm, I'm not saying that in a destructive manner. I'm saying it constructively. If you want parents and players to invest this money and get involved with it, we need to be we need to do a better job of, of being transparent on what as a club we're offering. And there are plenty of club directors that do a great job of it. Lisa Doby at uh, the edge locally. Yeah. Uh, John Crinabun is a great he runs a nonprofit club on the East Coast. He does a great job. And, and the list is far more than those two. Those evolution. are the two I always think of. Ev so, evolution. We have a policy. Every every kid plays at least one set in every tournament. But do you feel that's the like around the country? Do you feel that's the norm? Hell no. That's what makes our. Right. That's what. But that's what makes evolution attractive. There, it actually drives away some kids. I'm like, dude. I'm. Uh, but but we but. I'm sorry, you're right. There is a there I, there is a zip code privilege where like, you know, it's like okay, whoever doesn't want to play, fine. We're gonna we're, we're gonna have plenty of talent. You know, we may, we may lose some of the best talent for that, but I think we make up with that just again just having savage coaches. We beat a lot of dude. We beat a lot of talented teams because we just work harder and. Um, and I came off a little pompous last episode talking about being smarter than everybody else. <laughs> right? Remember I was talking about, no, I remember I was like, oh, the reason why I beat these teams because I'm fucking smarter. <laughs> There's something to be said about being, knowing knowing what someone's going to do, knowing how some a coach runs their program, what style of offense or what style of defense he's going to do, and then and then playing the same teams over and over again and, and knowing their tendencies that allow you to self-correct. And even the games you lose, you you know, they got to they got to look across the net and look you in your eye and shake your hand like a man, you know, because they know you're not a glorified babysitter. So, so, but, but you're right. I do enjoy a zip code privilege from that. So you're right. There's not tantier to, to come back at you. Yeah. There's, there isn't a lot of people that do that. There isn't yeah, a lot of people so, that do So, I mean, that. you know, it's, it's like to your point, mm -hmm. if you got two teams that are somewhat even physically and you got one team that's playing checkers and the other is playing chess, the chess mm -hmm. team's going to win, right? Yeah. Like you're, you're absolutely, true. it's one of the biggest things we're trying to teach our kids um, of all levels when they're on the sand, I'm, I'm trying to get them to be able to break the game down in real time, right? And at 13, 14, it's tough, but but it doesn't have to be a huge, you know, crazy layers. But if you get into the technical timeout, we always take a break at the technical timeout. Mm -hmm. And I want our kids to be, I don't want to give them the fish. I want them, I'm teaching them how to fish. So I look at them, I say, okay, you're losing. Is it the other team doing something really well? Or is it something that you're struggling with? And if so, what can you adapt? If you're winning, 
you know, what are you doing and how do we keep building on that? Right. And, and we're constantly trying to get these kids not to get dwelling on the what, you know, oh, we're shanking all our passes, we're missing all our serves. Why is it happening? You know, for, for the passing, are they serving deep and you're not drop stepping, which was a big issue yesterday at practice. So that's why it's fresh in my mind. Um, you know, are you not staying low, especially for the short ones? Are you starting to tilt with your upper body instead of getting your legs low so you can get the lift? Um, the, the thing I love about our sport, man, it's fun geometry. If you miss a ball, you know, while it looks awful, sometimes you shank it off your arm, you miss by this much and that ball goes 20 feet off the court. And for some of these kids, it takes them a while to understand, like, don't get caught up in how bad that looked there's always a reason you it's tried to get the inches, ball at point yeah. a mm -hmm. and you you contested at point b so what do you have to do next time to get that a spot that you're looking for yeah. so we're, we're really trying to teach these kids to to be really objective on on when things aren't going the right way i tell them at the end of the day you know i, I don't know if you saw kent stephas posted yesterday and he and i were kind of going back and forth it was, it was an interesting conversation about you know, winning. And, and I've got this rule of 500 that I talk about at the end of the day, you could take your best teams and put them in a tournament against each other. And no matter how hard they play, no matter what they know, no matter if they all do the right things, someone's got to lose every single point, every single set, every single match. And, and so I don't, I don't look at my players and judge them. I'm a John Wooden guy. Um, I don't judge them by their wins and losses. I have teams that lose matches and I know what they're capable of. And I know what the other team's doing. Sometimes you just get beat. And then I have times where I've got kids that, you know, have physical gifts and maybe they play a team that isn't as talented and they win on paper, but I know that team didn't give their absolute best effort. I know they, they were sloppy in areas that they could have done better at. Yeah. So we're always trying to get everyone to focus on, can you be the best you can be and know, that some days your best isn't your best. And it has nothing, you know, you might have had a rough night of sleep. You might not have, you know, your schedule you, you chose to or didn't have the opportunity to eat the way you normally do. Some days you're just a little off physically. We, we all have them. And so that's why we're a process over results program and really focus on on the kids. Just just focus on what you can do. And, and if you lose, but you, you know, hey, we did A and they took that away. So we tried B and worked for a little bit. Then they adapted. We tried, like, if you, if you at the end of the match say, we tried all these different things and we just got beat, keep your head up high versus, you know, sometimes kid makes a mistake. And then they, it's a Doc Rivers quote I love, don't let a bad play turn into a bad game. And sometimes we, we shank a pass and yeah. we hold on some to that. Play, yeah, some plays can last four points, dude. Yeah, you, you know, know, you got the only point that matters every time when I coached indoor, every time out ended the same. So what's what's the only point that matters? The next one. That's right. Let's go. Yeah. I, very interesting. You said you're a John Wooden guy in that respect, because I, that that's all of that is very consistent <laughs> with him. I'm a mixture. I'm, I'm a Larry Brown guy. <laughs> I'm a Brooklyn He's a grinder, guy. I mean, though. And, I, and I, I'll tell you what and, I really um, respect. And I'm a mayor. I'm most recently just through Beach. Because he's just so much sharper than almost every coach I've, I've talked to, except for all you know, John Mayer. John Mayer is all about um, um, controllables, mm -hmm. taking care of that. Even on your worst day, even under the, the most windy conditions, there are certain things that you control. You're always going to control more than the other team. You know, from an encore perspective, whatever, serve, 100% control, right? Um, in system setting. Um, if your partner gives you a perfect pass, the other team can't make you set poorly. <laughs> you know, uh, down ball, free ball, there's levels to that because since we're talking about age groups. And then he was talking about controls off the court, your conditioning, the gym time you did to prepare for the season. All of those things uh, are, are, are within the other team 
can't control more than you. So, so, so I took kind of his some of his ideas and ran away with it. And Larry Brown, I'm more his style because Larry Brown always presents your options. Like, there's a ball that goes off the girl, she shanks it backwards, the other girl takes a step, and then she takes a step and then sees the ball and doesn't, doesn't keep going, you know? So, so for me, I kind of go up to her, and you, you, I know you like Q&A because you like having them answer their own questions because sometimes they retain knowledge that way, and sometimes, um, they're making a really bad mistake and them laughing at the mistake. No, they'll know they'll never do that again. So, but I'm talking about the former. So bear with me. Um, I go up to the girl and I'm like, so, give me a number. What what percentage of a chance do you think you had getting to that ball? And I'm like, thirty percent. She's like, you know. So I give my high number so they can think I'm ridiculous. I like thirty. More try more like fifteen. I like fifteen. How about how about ten? How about eleven? Eleven percent? Twelve? Yeah, twelve percent. Cool. All right. What percentage uh, do you have if you don't go at all? <laughs> I'm like, so I'm like zero. That. And I'm like, come here for a second. Play the, <laughs> play the fucking numbers. <laughs> play we, the fucking numbers. <laughs> so, so something sorry. that happens sometimes with their younger kids on that note, and it happened yesterday, like identical situation. Um, they don't like their toss on their serve and they, they let it hit, you know. So I had this girl toss, let it hit, and she looked at me and she's like, can I do that? I said, here's the deal. Can you catch that in the game? No. I said, like, if you go for, like, you're going to have to hit that ball in the match. So you might as well get the reps on, like, can you, what do you do with your feet? Do you, you know, if you, while we don't want to drop our elbow, if it's a low toss, just to get under it and get it over the net, right? Yeah. I said, if you let that ball drop, that is the lowest percentage chance of it getting over the net because you're not doing it. So mm-hmm. I agree with you. Um, yeah, I like, the thing I like the that. What are the percentage chances chance you miss with a bad toss? But yeah, what's Briss. the percentage if you just catch it? <laughs> it's, a, it's a Wayne Gretzky. It's a mm-hmm. Wayne Gretzky or a Steve mm-hmm. Carell. If you watch The Office, yeah. like you miss 100 percent of the shots you don't take. But I think. And, but I think it because of Larry Brown because presenting uh, helping players at the professional level, mind you, at the NBA and college or whatever, presenting options allow people to not feel like a robot. They, they, if they have a personality where they play better, where you allow them to be themselves and, and play better, um, he as a head coach can, man, can manage that personality and at the same time make the player feel like they're not being micromanaged on, uh, on, on the other, what I call the other. And I thought that's what's always made him such a good coach at the highest level. And in the NBA, which is more like, as we know, is player driven more than coach driven, right? If a coach, if you've seen a coach and an all star that has to go, the coach is gone, not the all star, with a, with a handful of exceptions. Like Pop, Pop ain't going nowhere. You know, Riley, you know, when he was coaching, he ain't, he ain't going nowhere. You know, Phil Jackson, he ain't going nowhere. So, so there's a handful of coaches like that. And Larry Brown um, was like 1A as far as like, being um, an untouchable, not as untouchable but the, with those guys, but didn't have to be. Look what he did with Detroit, dude. Look what he did with that, the, a, bunch, a bunch of journeymen in 2004, right? <laughs> Phillips, yeah, Just a Hamilton, bunch of guys. They, Wallace, they, didn't have, they had nothing left but each other. <laughs> you know, when I think of uh, Larry Brown, it kind of reminds me, I'm a Lou Holtz guy, too. Yeah. Um, um, that's, that's Popovich's idol, by the way. What is that? Larry Brown. That's Popovich's idol. That's the guy Pop said he yeah. looks up to. That's all. And, and the thing that I really respect both about Larry Brown and Lou Holtz um, is they both liked going to programs that were not already established. You know, I love Bill Jackson. You know, he's part of the Bulls, obviously. God, um, you'll love but Justin you wonder Stack, but like, what he would have done if he had to, like, completely rebuild. The dude adopted 
Jordan and Pippen and then got Kobe and Shaq, right? Um, again, he's, he's masterful with managing players, but he was always managing generational talent. Um, so the thing I always respect about Larry Brown and, and Lou Holtz is they took programs that were not appealing to coaches of their stature and, and every single time was able to, to leave them better than they found them. And, and I think that's even a junior. So you go full circle. Um, I'm not, the coaches that impress me aren't the ones that can take the avatars, the six foot plus players and, and have them physically impose their will on other teams. The coaches that impress me are the ones, can you take that kid that's been thrown away from every other program and literally thrown away? Like I, I want private lessons and my coaches are not emailing me or, or calling me back because I'm not on the national program. And, and can you give, get them to be able to do the things that they've basically been told by other coaches that they're not capable of doing. Um, and, and that's why I, I, for both those coaches, I, I think they've always been, I hope they get credit for not just being successful coaches, but, but taking a place and turning it into a winning program versus continuing that tradition or helping just get it over the hump. Yeah, man. You'd love Justin Stack if you ever sat and talked to him. <laughs> you want to talk about a guy that spent that his, that predicated his career on doing more with less. Um, and you know, I've had, when I met him, I had tons of more experience. And then I, in many instances, I ended up wanting to be like that, <laughs> you know? And I was, I mean, whatever, you, you know, the East coast, you know, some of those programs that, that, that I mentioned that I coach were not, you know, um, easy programs to coach. And, you know, you even wonder why they have business being in certain tournaments, but their, you know, true meritocracy as wins and losses helps, helps that cause. Um, there was discussion on volleyball coaches and trainers, and I, I loathe even having to mention them by name because of the, the mixture of people makes me, makes me uh, uh, straw man them to death. You know, take, take, <laughs> take the worst parts of their worst moments and make me judge them as a collective whole. So, so I'm already going to tell you it's coming from a biased place. Um, big debate about drill-based drills and uh, game-based drills. And... I got into a discussion. Eric Anderson is awesome, U.S. national uh, coach, uh, and part of the rules committee, and we we agree on everything, but we have our little grievances, our little small disagreements. And his citing as a pretext about player-based drills is like the gold medal team, the U.S. team in 2008, and this team in 88 and 84, and this and that. And I'm like, first of all, assuming that 88 and 84 were player-based, did player-based drills as opposed to drill-based drills remains uh, remains in question. But assuming you're right about all three, one, correlation is not causation. <laughs> okay. Uh, um, two, you're talking about three Olympics, uh, volleyball, men's volleyball, let's just say what, came in 1964. Um, and I know three medals is a lot. For people, for a group of people that everyone claims is not America's number one sport, but population-wise, is is a de facto number two. Like if we have more people playing in a region in the South Bay, that's their number one sport. So I don't want to hear this bullshit about oh, it's not America's number one sport. We have a whole, practically an entire state on the West Coast. If you never left the South Bay, you would think that's the number one sport in America. So I'm I'm just dismissing the that Mecca. myth. Dismith right dismissing that myth right now. We have plenty of elite athletes, not our second class athletes in many instances. Yeah, they not good enough to play basketball, this and that. But think of all of the teams in the Olympics that do drill-based drills that won a gold medal. 
Think about the Netherlands, who won the silver in 1992, that won the gold in 1996. So that's why... Um, this, and, th and that same argument, the same person will tell me correlation is not causation. So for me, um, it is my opinion that neither one of them enjoys success independent of each other. That's one. And I'm, I'm going to give you the floor and I want you to bounce back at me, come back at me hard if you need to. And my second point is be very fucking careful with this whole study show bullshit, okay? Be very, very careful with uh, using the term scientific fact uh, um, because science, scientific facts are not facts. Science, scientific facts are based on tons and tons of research which become accepted as fact because this, the research is exhausted, it's peer-reviewed, and then becomes later accepted as, as fact. And then maybe 20 years down the line, shit, I guess we were wrong. Coffee is good for you, you know, and this and that. So, <laughs> so I'm, I'm telling people, one, science, uh, 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 science basically is understanding the science is pure. Understanding the science is pure and, and can be more accepted as fact. If you understand it, it's completion, which goes to my second point, which I'm bouncing back to you. Vet your fucking studies. Look at the sample size. Look at how, how many weeks they did it. Look with the especially for volleyball. Did you do? Did you do it with an indoor team and outdoor team, right? So, because outdoor, uh, I'm telling you, drill-based drills are just as important as player-based drills, game-based. Even though game-based significantly um, dominates because the beach and the conditions, you have to have it in real time and practice it, right? But. Um, and that, that was the point I was trying to make. Vet uh, your studies. Is it a beach team we're talking about? Is it an indoor team? Is it a, a division one, two, or three program? All maintain levels of importance, but that goes into someone's level of thinking as well. Was the study done? Did you do it two months? Did you do three? Did you, did you look, did you sit in on like maybe four practices? Uh, for a two-month period, or was it nine players in a two-week period in the Division II women's program, not men's? So vet your fucking studies uh, uh, about this. So your thoughts on drill-based versus player-based and, um, and my assertion on people vetting their studies. So, you know, it's, it's funny. I haven't been in VCT for, for months, and I have nothing but love for Brian Swente. Um, I, I think he's created a really good resource in a lot of different Hell ways yeah, man. for a lot of people. There's um, a reason why we don't leave it. We're still members, right? <laughs> well, I'm out. I'm not on oh. VCT anymore. Okay. Um, right. Because I, I, I was, it was causing me more frustration than benefit, just being <laughs> honest. Um, I, I, I think there's such a variety, right? I, I have coached division one for indoor. I've coached beach national champions and I've coached the bottom of the barrel and not bad. I'm saying new, right? Yeah. I get kids that are over six feet tall. I get uh, some 13 year olds that just came into our program that my co my other coach walked in and saw them and thought they were in college. Um, I got kids that, that, um, you know, are five foot to five, two and being frank, they're like me. It takes them, a lot longer to to master a physical mechanic. Um, I, I agree with you that that there's no equation like you have to do things this way. You have to do this way. My our theme at progression is we coach for you. You don't play for us. And the the purpose is is every group that I coach is unique. Every kid I coach is unique. They all come from different backgrounds. They all are motivated and inspired by different types of coaching. 
they all have different strengths and weaknesses. They all have different tendencies. And, and our job as coaches, in my opinion, is to figure out, A, and, and especially for high school kids, you know, it's, it's different. You run a college program, you're coaching like pro level. Yeah, you, the goal obviously is to be successful winning and there's a specific culture to do it. Um, you have to be adaptable to each individual player and what their needs are if you want to get the max out of them. Uh, but when we're talking about high school. Um, one of the things I was talking about on Kent Steffes's, um thread that we we're talking about winning um, is I can't, there are certain kids that are going to come that love the sport um, that, that they may not want to play five days a week, right? Um, they're, they're, they're playing to be the best they can be, but they're not gonna, they've got other hobbies. Some of them are musicians. Some of them are part, you know, they act, they're parts of plays for their high schools. I've gotten to watch a lot of my kids play plays. Um, they might play other sports or being frank, they may like to play twice a week with their friends and they wanna get better, but but this is secondary to them. Um, so as a coach, I think you, you do a disservice to your players if you have a one size fits all, this is my program sink or swim. Don't get me wrong, I have, certain philosophies that are, you know, we, we respect our peers, we respect our coaches, we, we hustle where we go, we don't walk. Um, but there's also, I have to be aware, okay, I've got four kids that are college bound. And, and a lot of times I'm putting, you know, Coach Kristen, who you saw in the WGN, like our top players play against adults in our program, because my goal is to get them prepared to play 19 to 22 year olds, not to just smash all the local 16 to 18 year olds. Um, so, so for them, we have a very specific practice plan and, and, you know, I think it works out well for other kids at the beginning, especially for the owners, like we have the first three weeks are painful. And I tell them like the first three weeks, you're not going to have fun with it as much. Uh, but if you can get through this, we're going to have a good time for the rest of it. Because I used to, when I was younger, I would slip and the kids were like, I just want to play. I just want to play. And 13 year olds that haven't been taught the movement, where they're going, ace, mister, ace, mister. It's like they're not having fun, right? So, so the first three weeks, it's always, we, we never do, I, I'm not a big block person. Like I'm going to toss it right here. You're going to go here. Like the game's very random. So, but we have to do a lot of serve, serve, receive. I need these kids. You have to be able to use your serve as a weapon or at least control it to keep it inbounds. And, and you know, for pass, set, hit. We want, especially for our kids that are smaller and not as athletic, we need that ball to stay close. We, we don't want to be chasing the ball around. We want the ball to stay in between us. So, you know, as much as they're, and my, my new coaches would tell me sometimes early on, they're like, you're talking to these kids and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is like really over the top. And then I watch them play and I understand it. Um, some kids I have to pull back from being as technical as I like to be because I can look at them and say, okay, I know this is what they need to get to their absolute peak potential. But sometimes like I had, I had a kid that came in and she sat in a car dealership all day as her mom and dad buy, bought a car. She comes into practice, she just doesn't, she's not dialed in, right? And I've got a choice at that point. Cause again, it's, I'm coaching for them. I can, you know, try and beat them to greatness and say, you need this, you need this. And I'm not gonna get their effort and they're not gonna get better. Or, you know, some days I got to just kind of rip up my practice plan and say, okay, we're going to play games because that's what I need to see the effort. And if there's something in, you know, if we're struggling with a skill set, I want to be able to go back to it for five, 10 minutes. We'll work on it and then we'll go back to games. I, I've become a little more flexible as I've gotten older, um, coaching the kids in front of me versus saying, like, this is how we have to do things. And I personally feel that that's why 
Um, within a month, every single kid that joins our program, our, our weakest players can at least compete. I'm not going to tell you they're going to win every match or we're going to win all these tournaments. What I'll tell you is we put our kids in a position. Um, we, we, we cater our practice plans to what they need so that a month in, whether they can do it or not, they may need the repetition, but they can look at you and you can ask them questions about offense, defense, spacing, communication, and they have those tools. Yeah, man, that's important. Very, very important. And I'm glad I'm, I'm actually good. That's, I, I, I like the answer because it's, it's, um, it's like, what, 102 comments later. <laughs> I'm just like, ooh, boy, did I come in on this late. Well, sir. it's because you got people that are like, mm. science says it needs to be this. And then people that are like, well, I've done it this way and it's worked for me. And again, mm. I'm, I'm, you, they're not, neither of them are wrong. Um, that in certain cases, there's benefits to one or the other, but anyone that's been in the trenches and truly coaches a wide variety, you know, yeah, maybe if you're a division one coach and all you're dealing with is elite athletes, the top 1% that graduate high school. Yeah. You can be a little more, um, consistent with the same practice schedule and it might work. You know, if you're Russ Rose or cook and you're getting the same elite athletes year in and year out. Yeah. You can run things a certain way and you're, you're, you're program is going to be successful that way. But I think you know the, the reason that I get frustrated on VCT when those conversations happen is 99% of the coaches on that forum are not coaching the, the super elite. They are coaching the biggest disparity in like your haves and your have nots. And to, to go oh, in, hate to break it to them. <laughs> well, to go, but, but again, but they're, they're looking at those, those comments and they're making, you know, an absolute opinion and, and, I just got tired of being the bad guy for for commenting and being like, you know, and I would always just play devil's advocate. Well, what about this? What about that? Like, I want our coach, like if, if I was to do coaches clinics, the first thing I tell them is like, you have to be aware of what your kids are and what they need, right? Where is their basement and how do we raise that? That's always my goal. You know, at the end of every practice, we do play games. Every practice, we play games. Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd, rather, and it's, I'd rather have the kids win than the coach. <laughs> I'd rather have the kids win in life than the coach in an argument. I mean, well, you know, it's uh, we're hitting a leather ball over in that. At the end of the day, like I was a competitive player, but I look back on my career and what I'm thankful for is the the you know Drew Pitlick, who's across the country, Tim Driscoll, who's the guy I met at Bradford, super nice guy. Like I met people all over the country. Volleyball gave me the opportunity mm -hmm. uh, to do that, and and what I hope to bestow on my kids. I know I talked about it last time. Again, life lessons on mm -hmm. how to deal with adversity, how to work well with others. When you don't get what you want, and I think a lot of us in 2020 are dealing, yeah. how do we move on to the next play? And but you, unfortunately- you just, go ahead, sorry. No, and it, I just feel like sometimes we, we everyone wants to speak in absolutes. Where we, we, you know, I, I like your your take on it because it's not one or the other. It's, it's, you know, again, there are teams where I'm like, okay, I had one group of 13 year olds that by the second practice, the ones that you saw on, on the WGN, by the second practice, they were holding and understanding it, right? So for them, we could do more game-like stuff quickly because they were able to understand what they're trying to do on the court. I got other kids that might need two or three weeks. I've, I've got, you know, a couple groups where I've got some kids that have never played any volleyball before. So we're teaching like basic passing and we've got deep sand. I got to teach them how to serve and pass overhand, you know, serve overhand and then pass that ball. You know, we can't run games until we can get that.
Um, but we're yeah. a month in with a, a specific group I have in mind. And all of a sudden, the girls that have never played volleyball before, they're making their serves more than they're missing them, right? Mm -hmm. We're starting to get our passes where we can run volleys more. You know, we every practice we finish with, like, I might have to toss a ball in to initiate it. Uh, but but we're doing what we can to make sure that that group is getting the most out of their two-hour block. And, and I think any coach that thinks otherwise probably isn't they've either been taught that by someone and they're they're stuck in that mindset and not a judgment it's an observation or they're in a situation where they only coach a specific level of athletes and they're not in a position where they have to be that flexible and yeah well look for me it's very very important for coaches to understand depending on what level you are. And I talked to Dane about this, and Dane, Dane joked with me about it, but I kind of brought it back at him. The more years of experience you have and the more that you try stuff and see what works and what doesn't, um, the more the, the, the study and the scientist, uh, it becomes you. <laughs> you know, at, at the end of the day, uh, uh, some, and, 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 and a very, on a very large scale, this, the, the people conducting the studies and, and the science guys, are us <laughs> the coaches and i think they have to have a little bit of trust um because there are two ways to do it just like theater remember i told you la uh, last episode um there's a style of theater that says you, you know if you have to get up and move across the room you need a reason to why why are you doing it then if you don't find a reason to don't move and then there's the, the chekovian way michael Chekhov. you go you move across the room and you go back Move across the room. You don't fucking know why you're doing it. You're doing it. You're making mistakes during your journey to the room. You see a better way around the room, a better way to sit, better way to, better way to finish. And then you, you kind of understand those together. But that that second, the latter requires years. I'm warning any coach out there, that requires years and years of experience because you're, that is for the, 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 the pupil or the player to, to discover on their journey. You, as a coach, you already should have your shit together, you know, uh, um, but it, it, you should allow yourself to experiment with that, that child or that player and allow them to take that journey because it's not just the destination and the, and the why you're at the destination. A, a, a lot of times it's the journey itself that, that makes them have that discovery and appreciate the why. So there's two ways to get the why. That was, that's, that's one uh, um, about uh, us coaches or whatever. Two, Studies, accepted as scientific fact, have to have a logical connection to the given circumstances of what the fuck you're talking about. All right? Uh, for the people, because I got a lot of people that don't play volleyball, I'll give you an example um, outside of volleyball. FBI file says black people, um, and I, get, I hear this all the time, black people, black on black crime, are, are black people are killing other black people significantly more than white people are killing other white people and the stat was um 84 percent to 91 percent well that's uh and and anyone that makes this argument what the file says what the file says those are facts those are facts now here's where the facts don't make a logical co co connection to the given circumstances of maybe uh, uh or the random or said conversation one and this is just a fun stat just to start 84 to 91 okay a b to an a minus wow i mean that doesn't mean shit to me because the both numbers are so high. That's like saying you'd rather get hit by a bus than a Mack truck. 
give me a fucking break, okay? Uh, oh, you know, um, well, we kill ourselves 84% of the chance, but 91, oh, you're worse than us. Shut, just shut up. That's an, a, that's an A minus and a B, okay? I'd rather get hit by a bus because there's people on the bus that care about me than a Mack truck. You're worse than me because you got hit by the Mack truck. Shut your fucking mouth, all right? The second thing is a uh, lurking variable, again, that's not logically connected, in these highly concentrated areas where, some, where people are poor. Another statistical fact, if you are poor, you are more likely to commit a crime. If you are more likely to commit a crime, uh, a, a major crime might, might result into it. Yeah, it might result to it. So if you're if you're if you're breaking into a house and shit goes wrong and you, and someone gets killed, it it all comes from from a different common denominator that the FBI file did not make the logical connection. So if black people are are less employed than are uh, or have less employable opportunities, they're going to be poor. And if you take a poor bunch of people and you consolidate them to an area like the projects or like this and that, higher higher criminal activity which might lead to a high crime, it results into that. So that's that's the lurking variable that accounts for for those seven points alone, if not I'd say even I dare even say 15 if I go back to my lab and study. The third thing, we're not talk we're talking about the, uh, the, the original thing was racial profiling. If 91% of the black people are doing black on black crimes, how many of them do you think, in your honest opinion, in your heart of hearts, are targeting other black people because they're black? They're not, they're not racial profiling. But you know what I'm saying? They're not <laughs> racial. No, but I'm talking about someone introducing a stat, accepting it as a common denominator as fact, and 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 using that to, to, as an illogical connection to things uh, uh, um, that uh, make up the, the, the collective whole of the big scheme of things. I mean, and, now, and now we go back to volleyball, if you want. I don't want to piss well, people off. Oh, well, we can, you know, he's but, a libtard uh, or whatever. <laughs> well, you, start, you, started, you started with volleyball, you went to that. So let me stay on that, and then we'll go back to volleyball. Do right? it. So, like, I think about clubs and, and the, the paradox for indoor clubs is the bigger, the more successful you are, the more people you're going to get, right? The more people you get, the harder it is to, to do the things that allowed you to be successful, right? So what I mean by that is like, okay, I, I work for a club that had like eight to 10 teams that we had really good coaches and then we had really good success and all of a sudden we got enough kids for 30 teams. And now you need 20 more coaches, right? Like the bigger you get, the more coaches you have. And I'm sorry, no matter how much you trade in-house, at some point, you're going to hit a point where your disparity in coaches is going to increase, right? And going to anything on the macro level, like what you were just talking about, like to, to make these broad statistics on a 350 million person society with a lot of different classes, a lot of different, you know, there's a lot of different cultures in one country. Um, I think in 2020, we're, we're very quick to use statistics like you're talking about and act like we can take that information and make a broad assumption on it. And, and the sad thing is with the internet in 2020, what an, I mean, again, that the resource of volleyball coaches and trainers to be able to have that many coaches from all over the world mm -hmm. and talk about these things and not in right or wrong, but just say, what have we done and, and what type of perspectives we've had and what ex success and failure and all that, like what a great place to have a think tank and sometimes both in volleyball and outside of volleyball, um, it, it's just very easy to to play to our biases or what has worked for us independently 
and then put our blinders on and say this is it's the right way or the wrong way and you know for me if, th if there's anything that i'm certain of in 2020 it's what i'm not certain of um and, and as a coach you should always be learning like if there, i i'm pretty i know a decent amount i'd like to think i know more than the typical coach but i'm always picking up new new little lingos new drills new new you know different ways to teach things um i thought it was very interesting when we had both k spear and ratledge do clinics and k spears teaching midline passing and ratledge is talking about passing outside your body they're not wrong like there's no if you pass midline and i've got a kid that maybe doesn't have as good a touch to the ball it's it's less risky because they're at least they're going to get the ball forward somewhere right and the problem with midline passing sometimes is if someone's really good at moving depth wise like it's harder to get around a ball that they serve behind you versus when you can't kind of get around it um and and with ratledge like yeah you're right i there's it's easier to make last second corrections forward and backwards outside your midline at times but your room for error is this, you know, perfect pass on my arm and then shank right on the outs. So, so why, why do we have to, as experts, why do we have to tell a large base that it's only one way? Right. And, and I'm sure that it, it kind of feeds into your point. Like people get stuck on these, these studies, which I think are good to supplement um, what we might want to do primarily, but to ever as a, with how random our sport is to say, there's only one way to do it, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I wouldn't teach my kids to play like Karen Bula, you know, but what a perfect <laughs> example. Of the like, that's my point. Like, we, we have to read, like, I had a kid that that just went off to play college. And I got to tell you, her passing technique, she was a lot more arm swing than I like. But, man, was she perfect with it. Like, she was one of the best passes I've ever coached at the juniors level. So, while it wasn't my normal, like, I would never teach a new kid what she was doing. Like, I'm not going to break it if it's not you know, they're not going to fix it if it's not already broken. And yeah. um, I think it would be good for both volleyball and society if, if you know, if someone disagrees with us, it doesn't mean we have to to go to their side, but at least we should we should speak to try and truly understand why they feel that way. Whether we at the end respect that or not, uh, we should always respect them as people, and we should certainly always at least, you know, I'm not going to judge someone because they've come from a different set of experiences and education than I have. Um, whether on paper, I look at that and I say, I would never do that. Um, you know, not everyone's had the path I've had and it'd be arrogant to, to imply that, that it's the only way to do it. Is, is just that <laughs> it's, it's nothing more than self-serving and this and that. And I think, I think, um, validation, the validation kind of game kind of gets in the way of that too. When you have two people that have a disagreement, it's like, oh, well, what have you done? Oh, I, I've done this. Or I've done that. You know, I mean, it's and it's so weird for people to accept that someone who is an Olympic gold medalist as a player is not as good as a coach <laughs> as someone who, you know, who, who, you know, is just someone like bottom of the main draw, top of the, the, the qualifier. Right. Like if Dane Blanton and Kevin McCulloch have a disagreement on how they want to do a clinic, typically everyone's going to side with Dane Blanton, you know, but mm -hmm. but. Um, and Dane's my dude, and I think Dane's gonna win a chip. But, but if anyone out there is like, what the hell has he done as a head coach, as an NCAA head coach, that you know that Kevin can't do, that's not an illegitimate question either. You you know what I'm saying? And and it's and someone somewhere out there, everybody's like, oh my God, you're comparing Kevin to Dane. I'm, you're damn right, I am. I'm 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 doing it because, like you said, everybody has something to offer. And and instead of spending time talking about why. Uh, your way is wrong. 
How about just answer the fucking question? <laughs> How about just answer the question? Like v, the reason why I even bought a VTC uh, volleyball coaches and trainers, and, and it's it's awkward because I'm not trying to give them no shine on my podcast. My podcast, I got I got other fish I want to fry, uh, um, and they got enough shine, right? They got enough members or whatever, and and I do respect John Kent Kessel, even though I, I do think he has a a cocky side to him when when I first met him, but. But I don't care about your cockiness as long as your love for the sport is unconditional. So that's just that's just my way to work around it, where we can all we can all play, pray, and play to play together and stay together. So um, I think what they need to do a better job. If someone comes at them, I'm a new coach and I'm whatever, and I need some advice on this. I would like to see somewhere out of these 50 comments. I want to see. I, I think it would win if 40 of the comments actually answer the fucking question. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah, know, but, I but, think you know, there's a humorous I, way to do things, and 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 you know that'll get giggles. But I don't, I really don't want to talk about uh, have someone talk about why their approach didn't, you know, wouldn't work and didn't work. I mean, uh, there's a way to talk to people. That's all I'm trying to say. Like you, if you're answering, if you're trying to help someone, and that's not your way, you could be like, hey, you know, I see the way you're doing this, and and you might. You might want to consider trying it this way. That's the way you talk to them. Don't make someone feel like an asshole. I mean, there are already, you know, there's some beginner coaches out there that are that are seeking actual fucking help and wisdom and don't feel like they should have to kiss the uh, the the invisible ring because I don't see no fucking ring on none of them. Okay, to to kiss the invisible ring to make that happen, you know. I mean. There's a way Anna Carrier is going to talk to someone. There's a way John Mayer is going to talk to someone. <laughs> find <laughs> find something where 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 you you could be productive and helpful in the middle. You know, somebody's somebody's personalities. I mean, I, I don't. Their arrogance rubs me the wrong way. It just really rubs me the wrong way. So you know? on that, because that's that's an interesting point. I think this is good for internet etiquette, anyway. So like one of the things that I personally got, they're not saying it's right or wrong, but it's really helped me. Is I people have to earn validation with me, right? What I mean by that is with the internet, like there's 20,000 coaches on there, right? It takes absolutely nothing other than saying you're a coach to be part of that group. So there could be someone on there that that has absolutely no experience, you know, or maybe they're brand new, you know, they're their parent that's coaching their kid's sixth grade, right? And they've got the exact same platform you and I do to to bring up whatever their opinion is, right? And And I think we see this on the internet for a lot of things right now. Um, it's important to, to, instead of just looking at what someone types, take a step back. And a lot of times they'll say, all right, who is this person? And, you know, again, if it's not that I don't respect them, but like, I don't have to, if someone says something and I don't agree with it and they're someone that I literally have never heard of, they, they, I can't even find them on Google. Like I don't have to, to invest my own energy to, to counter that. Right. And the truth is, is no matter what I do to counter it, the people that want to believe what they say, they're going to play to their biases no matter what I put in front of them. So um, that was kind of one of the, the reasons I was comfortable walking away from VCT. And don't get me wrong, there are moments where um, I'd love to, to get back into the fray. There were a lot of um, good conversations in there. But when it became a lot of people complaining about parents complaining. It became a vent session for a lot of people instead of like, how are we going to get better as a collective whole? And, and that's, look, I cannot imagine, I'm a small fish. I, I cannot imagine trying to manage a group of 20,000 people and figuring out where you put the line and where you don't, 
um, and find that sweet spot of we want to keep expanding as a as a coaching education hub and and be somewhere that's inclusive to people um, while while holding a certain standard. They, they don't have an easy job, and especially with with um, just general internet etiquette right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I, all I can tell you is if, if you're in my boat where some of the stuff you see and you're like, oh my gosh, how can you say that? Like, take a step back and, and try and answer that question. Like, what? all right, why did someone, do? does this person have any background that would lead them to have a different perspective on it? And it's like, all right, I don't know, I can't find anything on these people, but they seem really angry. I'm, I'm, it's not worth my time and I'm not going to do them any benefit by trying to take that argument. So I, I've tried really hard. I'm sure you can, you could find people that, that will, that I wasn't their cup of tea because when I was younger, I was trying to like force my opinion on people if, if I felt it should be a certain way. And what I found is I'm done trying to convince people um, of, of a different perspective. If they're not really looking for it, I'm looking for people that, that, you know, we, we run a very unique, I don't think there's a business model for youth sports like ours at the moment. I'm not saying there's, that we're better. I'm just saying we're unique. And I'm looking for parents and players and other coaches in my area, uh, and frankly, in other areas that might want to mimic what we do. I'm looking for people that are excited and aligned philosophically with us, and I'm going to invest my energy in, in helping grow that. And um, wherever that takes me, that's what I'm going to do. And, and I got to tell you, as much as, again, there are times I miss it, um, I haven't even considered going back just because I I want to invest my time and energy in, in places that are going to be beneficial and not just make me feel like after an hour I was just talking to a wall. Yeah, cool. I'll come back at I've Dame, had about 10 minutes, I'm gonna come by back the way. At, I'm going to come back at Dame, Dame Blanton and say, I, um, as a coach, I love and respect the guy because I got to talk to him personally just through, through the years and this and that. Eventually, you know, he's eventually he's going to, you know, I knew he'd pick up the phone and say, yes, come on the podcast and this and that. So um, I'm a turn. He was on before, right? Yeah. Yeah, he was on, um, I think he was on before Gigi Lucas, the surfer. And then I had my guy, Burn, Burn Norman, the musician, the my crazy friend. <laughs> Listen, every Joe Rogan got to have an Alex Jones, man. So I'll give you, Burn, I'll give you, I'll give you Burn Norman. <laughs> That's funny. Not as extreme. No, but mad respect to Dane because I really like his ideas and I really like Kevin McCulloch's ideas. And I only use the two of them because talking to them, some of their ideas are different, but both of them work, you know. Um, Kevin was instrumental in introducing me to a lot of people when I moved out here. I moved out here, you know. Got to chill with his Manhattan Sixes team that had Stafford Slick, Alejandro Parra, Paula Reza, you know, Derek Olson, Matt Olson. So, I mean, that was cool. And, and Dane, when I was in New York, was always accommodating as far as like giving me and Patrick Dietz, like just the time to conversate and this and that. And just a, uh, two very classy, I, it's so weird calling them classy human beings and like their personalities are infinitely different because we always think of a classy human being that acting that acts one way, you know, that treats everybody the same, guess what they both do, you know, so there's a foundational, a fundamental thing that makes me classify them as classy human beings, uh, um, even though their personalities are just, you know, Kevin McCulloch is a ham. <laughs> he is a ham. You would love him. In fact, I'm trying to get his wife on the show again. She's um, the head coach at UC Davis. And he's, I guess he's her assistant. He left Viper to be her assistant and they moved in. Nice. Just trying to make good things happen out there just like you are, man. You know? <laughs> and, um, and man, I just keep continuing to make those things happen, Brian. 
Let's keep yeah, it. Absolutely. You know, keep, We're one day keep at doing time. what you're so doing. Far, so good. Did you ever go on uh, Coach Your Brains Out yet? No, I haven't. All I right. Let me. Um, I mean, let me. I'm a, I'm a small fish, man. I'd love to talk to John and Bill, Billy. I don't know if he's still Billy. Like, and and I'm Drew and I when we tr- I, I went out to Hermosa in 2016. Billy Allen was the guy I watched. Um, I you know he, he's. I think sometimes if you don't win a lot, people don't always recognize you. And I, at, at the height and size he was, I always watched him because as I was on the come up, I always felt like his game was comparable. And on my birthday, I was out in Hermosa and I was training with Drew and a couple other guys. And Billy and Stafford and their coach are on the court next to us. And I'm sitting here like, this is that's what I love about our sport, man, is like you could look up to your your some of your role models and 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 have that type of access and after our practice they're like hey we're looking to get some side out would you and your guy your tall guy there want to get some reps so i got to get i got a picture with them i talked to him a little bit and after i i rode and i told billy like you were the guy i looked up to he's like you could set the bar a little higher and i'm like yeah. bull like no i disagree with that like you, you similar body type but like the dude does well like he's been so consistent at that main draw it's not easy to stay in the main draw no especially with all the come you know the players coming up and him and him and slick having to get back in you know yeah. because they're the, the qualifier was right. so oh. stacked. how awesome was that you, know, Olympic, like, you got gold medalist in the qualifier oh it was so you know the cool thing about the qualifier not that you don't get pretty good with the double limb but you know college football one of the things that makes it so popular is every game matters like there are ramifications if you lose any single and that was one of the things that was super cool about the qualifier for the ABP is like every match like had that like win or go home and it's yeah. high level competition i mean it was and I, it was exciting yeah. and i'd love to see a, a time a, a time coming where being paid the show does extend to actually real qualifiers i'd like i would love for them to be some kind of cheddar cheese for second and third round just to to um so there can be a return investment on some of these people who um decide not to quit the sport so easily you know they're getting into well, we can, it and, we can get into the business model of the avp we don't i don't have time for for that not one, even avp believe- i'm just talking about professional beach volleyball if it's the avp sure. this year next year um you know if it's p1440 whatever professional sports league that we're trying we're, to establish and write and, this for, down and let's talk yeah. about this if you'll have me again because that we could do a yeah. whole episode probably 100 100 before we go wanted to uh, plug tim driscoll um saying um you still have that bradford beach hoodie i sold you don't you <laughs> <laughs> I got I got some Bradford Beach gear. It's, it's binned right now. I'm trying to rip my own brand yeah. a little bit, um, but but I definitely have Brad. I mean, Brad, when there was a tournament mm-hmm. in Chicago, uh, which is about 25 minute drive for me, and there was a tournament at Bradford Beach, which is about an hour 20. Uh, we always pick Bradford. Todd Grawanski uh, was was he was the one that kind of made the 2014 AVP event go, which was incredible because <laughs> that beach got hammered with rain leading up to it. And they literally had a live stream of a security camera on the beach and they had these giant, giant um, construction trucks coming in to kind of like pick sand up and like to, to take care of all the, the flooding that happened. And they ran such a good event, like Carrie Walsh and others were, were singing Todd's praises. Todd made Bradford Beach, in my opinion, one of my favorite places to, to play volleyball that I've been anywhere in the country. Um, he always ran a very fair event. He was very straightforward with things. Uh, the logistics were always taken care of. So, and Tim, 
Tim, I mean, he's always on old school volleyball. He, I didn't realize when I would see Tim in person how much he he followed the sport and how much he knew. Um, yeah, Jessica's the, the man, yeah, dude. <laughs> Tim Driscoll always, I think the mark of a good human being is do you leave people better than you find them. And Tim, you know, we never had crazy deep conversation, but anytime we ran into each other, it was, a, it was an amicable conversation and um, hope he's doing well on the East Coast and, you know, maybe down the road we'll cross paths and swap some old war stories. No, no doubt. Um, also, John Anthony um, posted, said, really interesting conversation, really interesting conversation on um, where the line should be for growth in the club game. So many parallels in the business, uh, sorry, sorry, so many parallels in the business world of companies that grew too quickly and then couldn't manage themselves properly that lost to their culture and identity. Appreciate the conversation, guys. You um, should talk to John. Uh, he, he's, he's that guy I was talking about on the East Coast. He does a nonprofit club yeah. on the East Coast and... Um, his wife is very Where? successful coach as well. I think he's in the Maryland. He, correct me if I'm wrong. He's come to visit me. I haven't gotten out there. Uh, we actually, my, my college roommate and teammate, we, we have a Facebook group and or chat and he's in on it. That's how I met him. And then he came, um, he's, he's from Chica the Chicagoland area originally. So he visited and came out to the facility. We peppered, we went and grabbed a drink and just talked shop. So he's, you know, I, I know a lot about the juniors beach. I, I think, Crinabun has a lot of things that would be really good to, um, to to talk about in regards to indoor club. I think especially with everything you were talking about, what you're doing with evolution, you could probably have an interesting back and forth. Man, I I'm not coaching indoor. I mean, if everything stays the same between now and this meeting, <clears throat> I might have to give them the bad news. I mean, but I'm not going to be a Debbie Downer because I just the beginning of this podcast, I just talked about how other sports found a way to make this work and this and that and and. They're gonna, I mean, right, right now they're going to have to change my mind, but my mind is at least open to be changed. So I'm not yeah. going to jump to conclusions right now. I'm a prisoner of the moment. <laughs> to just be about, continued. Yeah, just about, look, you know, okay, fine. They don't do a coin toss, which is ridiculous because the coin belongs to one person, right? <laughs> um, sooner or later when you switch sides, right, you got to use the benches that the other team's using. So, I mean, it's not like basketball where you're using the same bench or even football using the same bleachers and mixed martial arts where the, the corner guy has the same corner so i mean that's a mill set i think desperately needs to be addressed if you're truly into the finding ways of social distance maybe you just have two sets of benches and diagonal switch or something you know um right i mean that's something we else can, that that, com that comes into play I, I baltimore think, dc you know, area that's what he said john anthony yeah it's uh, it's in my opinion it's a it's probably a good way to um we need to reverse engineer that, that's the way I kind of look at it, right? What are the what are the requirements? Okay, spacing, right? What is our square footage at a respective event? What is your seating? Is it bleachers? Is it chairs? You know, maybe we could switch sides and have people have a specific chair, things like that. I'm not saying that's the case, but but I think it's always better. Just just what's worked for me personally. I'm not saying it has to be that way, but I've always been good. Give me the parameters. Give me the square. You know, even with our facility, what was my square footage? You know, so I can kind of figure out how big do I want my sandbox? How much room did I need for seating? How many seats could I fit? What type of programming was I going to have, right? So it's the same thing. If I was going to run an indoor facility, okay, how many, what are the health department recommendations? Okay, how many people can I have in a certain area? How many courts do I have? What can I run within those parameters that that meets those needs? Um, you know, and, and from there, like, okay, what, is my break-even point? How many participants? Are, what, what price can I have that's sustainable? It's not too risky, 
Um, it doesn't break the bank, but but I know what I'm doing. And I think that's my my opinion. And it's just, there's so many different regions, so it's not across the board. But I think there's a lot of groups right now that are very comfortable with what has been the norm for for club. And I think there's, I think there's solutions right in front of them, but there's a lower ceiling on what they can make. And so they're doing everything they can to kind of wait to see, is there any wiggle room where maybe we can do, you know, uh, I've seen some clubs, the, the loophole they've had is clubs are like partnering together so that they fall within the jurisdiction of, of um, you know, it, it's, it's an in-program scrimmage. And that's towing the line a little bit, but, you know, hey, if it's only two clubs and it's like the same teams playing each other and you're limiting the amount of contact, mm-hmm. I'm not against that. <clears throat> no. Um, as long as there's a method behind the madness. I also and, think the, the, the attention you got on Channel 9 can also – help you dialogue with other health departments and create a differentiation about how beach volleyball conducts their business as opposed to indoor sexes. Because like well, you said, a lot of these rules and guidelines were lumped together. They just have volleyball lumped together. And, and I kind of rolled my eyes when you were in the middle of it in, in the middle of that, um, you know, diatribe. I was just like, the whole time I'm like, how could they? And I'm like, I'm going to get with, I'm going to get with Brian later in the podcast on this. And, and I, I actually just think like the attention that you're grabbing right now can dictate to, to certain departments that, that, that are handling the phases on this and have them realize a different differentiation of minimal competitors on the beach, as opposed to, um, I'm going to say something funny, zombie apocalypse uh, <laughs> type style of, of indoor. So, so, one thing that we didn't really get into, um, and I'm, it was a busy Monday working on. So, um, and I and I'll, I'll own either I missed it or I think they changed it a little bit. So, so remember you I talked it. about the government. You missed it. Nah, you missed it. Kidding. The, the, it's po- hey, it's it's possible. I've read so many things that I'm not perfect. But uh, remember, I said the governor said level one, level two, level three, right? And um, so so we and it's effective August fifteenth. So. Last Friday, I'm doing a live stream of one of our practices, and I get an email from someone that to this day don't know who they are. They haven't responded. I've gone back and forth. Um, and they're like, "Hey, I was watching your, um, I was watching your live stream. Why aren't your kids wearing masks?" And they actually linked me to the health department. Um, and there was a section that either I missed, and I'll, I'll maybe I missed it, uh, that said that all participants in an indoor facility have to wear masks. So I'm like, that's going to be a challenge. And the aspect that our pre- our kids struggle when they're new cardio-wise because a lot of times, especially for the younger ones, or maybe they haven't been at a like high, high-level program, they'll do a drill in indoor where it's hitting lines with 15 kids and they hit a ball, they go to the back line, and they're sitting talking with their friends for two minutes before their next rep, right? And with four kids for two hours, like our kids work. So... I know wearing a mask, like demoing a drill, like it's tough. And so I called the health department and I'm like, hey, I, I we had talked in June and they the, the two contacts I had, they remembered me. And I said, we had talked about my ceiling height and having 6,000 square feet and eight kids, how you felt that it was comparable to outdoor. And the new stip, um, regulations did say that if you're outdoor, uh, you could not, you didn't need a mask when you participated, but we're indoors. So um, so I call the health department and I have a conversation with them and they say, you know, we, we agree with you, 
with everything else you're doing in place, you shouldn't need the mask, but it's not up to us. It's the CDEO, the um, Chamber of and Department of Economics. I'm probably butchering what the CDEO is. It's basically the state economic chamber. So that organization is dealing with all businesses that have inquiries about what they can do, what they can't do. So I had, I had emailed and called them <clears throat> and I'm getting no responses. So I'm sitting here like, as long as they don't approve of me, my kids have to wear masks. So Monday rolls around. I message my parents and kids. I say, hey, just giving you a heads up, like until I get clearance, we, we have to do this. And so I did have one practice um, where we started in masks. In the meantime, I had talked to another organization uh, for strength and conditioning that I knew were not wearing masks. I said, how did you get approval for that? And they said, actually, if you reach out to the village, um, you could talk to them. And if you give them, and they because it's being enforced, by the local police department. If the village looks at your situation, approves of it, you're okay. So long story short, um, mid, I've got two, co I've got my other coach there because we always have one extra staff member. I'm like, hey, I'm gonna keep my phone on me because if I get a call from the mayor, I wanna take it because if I can get approval like right now, then I want these, we, we did the practice and they were wearing the mask and you could tell like two of them were not handled. Like it was, the more we challenge them with their cardio, like it was hard to breathe. And yeah. there have been- The respiratory um, challenge is a real thing. There've been, right. If you, you could have more complication, well, obviously, you know, we don't want to have COVID, but but to play in a mask and go hard, like we've heard, I've heard of kids locally for, for indoor programs that have dealt with, I don't know, nausea, even some that have thrown up. Um, so so we were really careful. We, we were doing a lot of like fundamental stuff, which selfishly, I was kind of glad because it kind of gave us an excuse to, make these kids do things they don't necessarily like to do because it's not as fun as games. Uh, but it was clear they were not going to be able to play games the way that we play games with the mask on. And um, the mayor was like, you know, I, I, I want to give you approval, but I'm worried I'm going to get killed on it. And I said, here's the deal. I can make a waiver that tells parents we recognize that the IDPH makes, you know, is recommending this. We also have, you know, we've gotten approval from the village that if you're willing to sign this waiver, um, that, that you can participate without a mask. The one thing they changed, which we didn't do previously, is the kids have to come in with masks. They take them off once they get on the court, and then when they leave, they got to put them right back on. So um, we were able to, to have an objective conversation with both the health department and the village and, and get a unique situation, which was good because, yeah, I, I'll tell you, I was sweating a little bit Monday like, it's not that I can't do it. It's that if I do it, I know that I can't push these kids to the level. And again, it's, it's, you know, I told them I'm not looking for special treatment just because it's not the practice I want to run. We, every kid, like the group that had to wear masks all together, they're carpooling together. Like 50% of our kids, I would argue though, the group of four come together, they sign up together. These are kids that all hang out. You know, we, we keep them separate, but the truth is the moment they go outside, like I don't have jurisdiction to keep them and they don't stay far apart. So to me, the, the mass while playing, because we're not having random groups, um, it, I understood the reason that rules in place, but it's just another example of how it's really hard to have a broad, like, this is how everyone should be doing things when every group's different in their numbers, their spaces and, and et cetera. So yeah. I'm glad that we're in a situation that I can genuinely look the health department and you know the, the village officials in the eye and say, this is what we can do to keep the kids safe. And I'm thankful that they agree with that. No, that's good. <laughs> I also think it's about time for people to, um, as far as like getting tests, 
uh, um, actually COVID test out there. We're fresh. I'm, we collectively have, as a nation are fresh out of excuses. We need to get whether there's levels of tests that are more reliable or less, let's, we need to get all of them out of there. I mean, the reason why people are able to exist in these bubbles, you have someone that's already in a bubble with less of a chance of getting it, and they're getting tested three times a week. And then we got clubs like us where we're all, first of all, as far as safety is concerned, we're all safe sports certified. We're all concussion certified. We, you know, a lot of us have first aid experience. We are more qualified to do our job uh, as far as creating a bubble then 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 the then the pros are <laughs> because we're not even the difference between us and them is they're not getting we're not we're not getting available test <laughs> that is the only thing that 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 stops club coaches from from creating the kind of environment a responsible environment where where the kids are um are doing their thing is is really just is just the test the avp made that happen you know uh with a test and and the players to their credit when they trained, they trained in Hermosa Beach a lot. They really just stuck with each other. They didn't, you know, if they went home, they went home alone. If they were quarantining, they're quarantining. <laughs> like our Baranek spends a lot of time with them. Um, um, I'm not trying to air his laundry, but um, Gino Yorengo, you, um, that's a quarantine, <laughs> right? You've been with each other, hanging with each other for three months. Now the one of you uh, are, are having or at least um, show symptoms of it. Um, that's quarantine. So I think quarantine can turn into quarantine if we just get the test we we're fresh out of excuses get them get them out of there you know get stop stop this whole this whole we don't have enough tests not in this not in this country not in this no yeah but you have to miss me on that one i mean i mean maybe that's another episode because you know we could go on a long time you got to come back the 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 bottom line is you know (laughs) the test to me are a coach trying to right the ship and you know the truth is is we don't have a coach trying to right the ship what we have is we, we've got a lot of finger pointing by the the staff the coaching staff of our country um because everyone's worried about who's going to get renewed to coach next year's team and it's not a good season so both sides you know the assistant and the head coach are kind of butting heads right now saying whose fault it is so that one can come back. And, um, you know, I can, I'm happy to talk about it. My, my opinion, mm. I'm just a volleyball coach. Don't, don't freak out if you disagree. When you have a, a president that is concerned with, with, he's never admitted fault. And I, I don't hate our president. I think from what I've seen and what I've read about his dad, when you're the son of a sociopath, that's going to have, I don't think a residual effect. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, th- I feel bad because I don't think he is who he is. If he has my upbringing with, you know, five parents and that's a story for another time, but my parents were amazing to me. I had such a blessed upbringing. Um, when you've got someone that is focused and openly, this is not a judgment, it's an observation on getting back in office and he is on the record so aggressively in January, February, said this isn't a big deal to to put a testing system in place that would allow for what you spoke of earlier would be to admit that what he said was wrong and you know that um his opponents would would clip that and and advertise that to a point where uh, he's done so i mean let, let's call a spade a spade the, te- the testing and, and coronavirus has nothing to do with the health and and recovering it is all about 
surviving to to run the next four years. And unfortunately, when our society has allowed that to make us take sides, instead of collectively coming together and and looking at the administration and say, if you want to get back in, fix this, mm-hmm. um, you know. I think both administrations should stuck. be jumping at this. I think both administrations should be jumping at this because you did it. Listen, you did a real good, really good job of being objective and fair about it. Right. I mean, you know, I mean, I, I this is a this is called the option podcast, my man. So <laughs> if uh, it's if, if you feel like you're going to lose star power or parents or players because they thought your diatribe was disguised Trump bashing tough shit. OK, I'm not I'm not taking his side, nor am I against him either. I'm very, very much, you know, someone's fair when you have no idea who you know they're going to vote for. <laughs> no one has any idea who you're going to vote for. They have some clue now, but no one has any idea who I'm going to vote for. So so I share, we're sharing a stage where we should be allowed to just call things what they are, absent of, um, of tribalism or, or political affiliation. It's bullshit, all right? And at the same time, serious shit. So um, no, uh, I, I'm, I'm going to close up shop with that because you just you put it in such an eloquent way that that's undeniably uh, um, that comes from an undeniable self-honest place, if not an, uh, a heightenedly uh, a heightened agreeable place. We, let's let's stop with that. And if we if we want to explore another episode where we could do that and make man. a lot of friends and enemies, <laughs> come back on. Hey, I didn't. Here's, look, here's the deal. And, and look, if you're gonna, I, I need to be more, more hard up if you're going to keep coming on my show, dude. <laughs> if, if, if people disagree with my opinion, that's okay. Yeah. Like I have, I make my perspective based on, on my resources and mm-hmm. what I've seen and what I've heard. Um, doesn't mean that I'm all right. No, uh, you could be wrong. What I do uh-huh. see, but when I see people say one thing one day and say another thing another day, and and you know the the only thing we're, we're again it's it's politicized, and and I understand why people do what they're doing. Um, I, I I don't look at anyone that feels an opposite way and say like you're wrong or you're you know insert name here. It's just you know we we have different data that we're working off of and yeah. and i will continue um you know we i have conversations on my facebook mm-hmm. and there are a lot of my friends that are opposite um in regards to some of our perspectives but we talk about it and i delete comments when it gets personal people of want course because if you're they attack um, the character not the argument they got to go right so so <laughs> and you know what we've had some really uh, have have i necessarily changed someone else's mind no have they changed my mind not necessarily but we we walk away from that conversation instead of being like, Ugh, and you know, like you said, like call call names if you're the right or the left. Well, we come and say we see it from different perspectives, but at least we understand why. And and I think it's naive to you know anyone that thinks I, there's there's plenty of problems on both sides. I don't mm-hmm. I don't think that there's one side that's going to fix this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a hundred percent is going to be easy. Yeah, um, I'm just focusing on on. I'm looking. I'm looking for leadership that hopefully gets to a point where we're we're saying, how do we make the best of this situation, and and actually work through it versus you know, how do I save face and and find a way to get out of this where I'm not the one taking. And that's game. big. That's a big deal because in politics, the number one rule is all right. Trump's Trump's a center center stage on this one. But the number one rule is never admit you're wrong. <laughs> Always deny, 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 because they between the media and the politicians, they have set up their their own stage 
where the penalty for doing something wrong, never mind admitting you're wrong, is death. There's only one that the, it's uh, you run a stop sign death. <laughs> OK, I won't do it again. I know. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> so um, I'm speaking <laughs> metaphorically, right? It's the electric chair for for anything that you ever uh, um, convincingly get caught doing wrong or admit to doing wrong. So if the penalty is death, who the fuck is going to admit they're wrong? <laughs> I mean, right. It's like someone commits murder one. Right. And if the mandatory sentence is a life sentence, why not go to trial? <laughs> why not go to trial? See, you know, see what happens. Maybe, you know, I can, you know, I mean, it's less time I get to spend, you know, I get sent to the Fed place, to Club Fed. Uh, uh, maybe, you know, more time in a courtroom or, or maybe there's a gullible juror out there that's going to, that might see it my, my lawyer's way. So they set up the stage and now like you said now they have to continue to perform this this endless like what seems like endless cycle and um for god's sake if there's anything you want to say to follow through on that i'm i, I say it but i'm gonna end with that yeah i you know at the end of the day it's going to come down to at some point society is going to mm -hmm. get tired of this and realize we're not getting this isn't making things better by yeah. how we're handling it and and you hope it doesn't take something really extreme to happen to get to that point um you know i'm i'm optimistic i think it, you know you know people mm -hmm. i'm sure like this sometimes when they're living a lifestyle that's not great but it's stable enough and they can kind of leave some elephants in the room yeah um you know they they stay they, they they put their own ceiling up and sometimes they gotta hit a low point before it gets to the point where they say, I got to get my stuff together and then they move back up. Right. Um, and sometimes it takes things of this nature to, to, you know, we're slingshotting, we're pulling back, we're pulling back before hopefully we can have what I'm, I'll, I'll be cautiously optimistic. Um, might be one of the best decades of my lifetime in regards to progressive change on how, um, certain things in society function. Uh, we found what we found in the last three years is a lot of things that aren't working and, and we're starting to figure out why they're not working. Mm -hmm. And again, 350 million people from a lot of different backgrounds and classes, mm -hmm. there's not a one size fits all and anyone that's gonna pretend otherwise, um, while I know it's their job in politics, it's, it's not realistic. But I, I think yeah, at some point, again, you know how, you know, there's sometimes you, you get in an argument with someone and you finally look at each other like, what the hell is is, I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. So what are we, Weren't do we friends before all this shit happened? Yeah. And, you know, sometimes it takes time. <laughs> but right. Weren't we friends before all this shit happened? <laughs> yeah. So, but you know what? You and we I are sitting together. here today as mm -hmm. bad as it's gotten, you know, it, mm -hmm. we're, life's still going on for now. And we're going to, we're going to take it one day at a time and um, do the best we can. And, and we'll see what happens. It's going to be interesting. Yeah. You're very much a different version uh, of, um, you're, you're the same foundation, but different version of me in a sense that you are able to have these intelligent discussions with people who with different different uh, social and political ideologies. Um, and and we're very much the same that this, as long as people follow that, like, like we don't have a lot of rules, right? We just follow the small set of rules. Attack the argument, not the person's character, right? You start talking about how dumb someone is, you're gone, right? I'm able to, to, to actually do these political posts online and generate like a, a hundred comments and, and, um, and thank God, because I feel, I don't want to sound arrogant, but I feel like people like you and me are the last bastion of hope that, that, if we're going to preach unity, let's let's get around to acting like it. 
if you're going to talk I about think, unity, let's 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 a, practice what we preach, you know. But 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 you know what? I I think there's so, a lot more people like you and I than meets the eye. I just think on social media. Yeah. You know, sometimes the that's, loudest people. That's the real people, silent majority, honestly. Yeah. I think I and, think and, we're the majority. You know, and and one thing that gives me hope is when the George Floyd thing happened. I saw a lot of people that I've always respected that used to post online that kind of sat the last three years out. And all of a sudden you start to see them get a little more involved again. And I'm seeing a little shift. I'm not saying it's perfect, but you're starting to see people recognize that it's important to, we need to make objective discussion and conversation second nature. Like that needs to become, everyone wants what's trendy. Mm -hmm. And you know, again, yeah. maybe another episode, we talk about social boy, media. and 90 My boy Aaron Wexler is crushed right now. He's the head, yeah, he's, the head coach of West Coast Volleyball. And this is like the Zen guy. He's the one that's saying, hey, let's let's shine a light. Let's create more lights like us. And, and the light's too bright to shine and we can all shine together. But after what happened the last few days, this man, I think, I think the patience left his body. And I've never seen him this like, um, not just wrought, but involved. He's always done a good job staying away from it and taking care of the things he felt he can control and, and make the world a better place with the, the way he knows how. And he's got a podcast right now. He's, he's got Triborn right now. Right now, as he's speaking, they're, they're doing an IG live. And we can, maybe we could get off and take a look at that. But, um, you know, it's, it's, it's gotten that far to someone like him. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, for it's, me, it's I mean, I'm, I'm a kid from Brooklyn, from Flatbush. I'm biracial. Everyone in my family is black except for my father. So, you know, I mean, uh, I can count. I can make I can give you countless situations on things that don't make the news. Uh, um, uh, that's more the same for people that think that the media might be cherry picking these these unique and rare situations. They're not unique and they're not rare. It's happening all the time. To quote Will Smith, it's not getting worse. It's getting filmed and. And I'm glad that it's getting. I mean, if That's you want to look at actual, you want to look at actual stats. It's supposed to be getting better, but because of the internet, it's getting filmed. It's make it's 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 making more people open their, open their eyes on all facets. It's a very very humanitarian thing that's absent of political parties right now. It's just getting people to say, "Hey, I never knew." And 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 for the people that saying you should have known, chill the fuck out. They're being honest. They never knew. You gotta oh. you gotta understand. Yeah, right. That that you that's the whole understanding thing you were talking about too. So. You know, yeah, if, if you want awareness. unity, if you want true, if you want true unity, it's time that we practice what we preach. And that's how I want to end. Um, yes, sir. All right. Thanks for having me, man. I Yo, really appreciate it. I need to be, I need to be harder. I need to be hard up more often. <laughs> In <laughs> fact, I just got a like text sir. from an actor who's supposed to come on. Her name is Rachel Perez. You want to yeah. listen to someone? I'm trying to get her on next week. Oh, my God. She's one of the best female actors I've ever talked to or seen in a play or seen in film in my entire life. And I had the pleasure of working with her on, on, a, on a play that, that changed the way our college puts on plays and, and changed the way, you know, um, colored theater, United Arts, it was UAC, United Arts, United Arts of Colored Theater. You're gonna love this girl when she comes on. She is a, cool. and a bundle of joy too. But for now, for everybody at home, for everyone watching this, my man Brian McDermott might love you, but me, I had enough of you. I can't stand you, all right? <laughs> so for all of you at home, for all of you on your iPad at whatever, at Starbucks, for all of you at a, at a restaurant waiting to get your lunch but couldn't resist, they have to see this show because they have to see my man, the great Brian McDermott. And for him, 
I'm Jason DeBeas, and I say to all of you, we're out of here. So long. We're out. Did it again. Come check out the Option Podcast on OptionDB.com. It's also available on iTunes and Spotify and on YouTube under the NY Varsity Sports Handle. You're going to love what you hear.